Welcome to the People Impact Podcast, because your impact on people matters. We are two visionary coaches exploring ideas about improving the way people lead and work together, bringing you topics that truly have an impact on people in your organization today. This is for you if you're interested in expanding your perspectives on people and yourself as a human being. For all of you out there who are open to new views, visions, and dreams. Featuring Marjolaine Fluch. Hello, hi Lisa. And myself, Lisa Dempsey. And today we have a wonderful guest, David yeah. Liedel, joining us. Welcome, David. Oh, it's great to be here, Lisa Marilyn. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we're so happy to have you here. Would you like to introduce yourself briefly, David? Uh, yes, thank you. Yes, my name's David Liddle. I'm the uh, chief exec and the founder of a wonderful consultancy called the TCM Group, which I set up uh, back in uh, 2001, 22 years ago, which I can't believe how fast that's gone. So TCM stood for, at the time, Total Conflict Management, which is going to give you a clue of where my real passion lies. Uh, and before I set TCM up, I ran a charity, one of the first charities actually in the UK, promoting mediation and restorative justice in community disputes and gangs, and then in a criminal justice system. And, and my first degree before I did that was in race and community relations. So I was always interested in racism and structural and economic factors that caused racism and discrimination. And that's sort of stayed with me through my, through my journey. TCM, back to sort of where I am now, uh, 22 years ago, we were I was the corporate band-aid. If a company had a problem at work, they called in a mediator. I came in in the dead of night, uh, went into a basement somewhere with these two parties and tried to help them unlock the uh, the challenges that they were working in. And bearing in mind that oftentimes companies only brought me in when things had got really bad, we were dealing with very challenging issues. Right. And what was fascinating to me was it was so successful. So my whole company is being based on the principles of unlocking the power that human beings have, that people have, um, oftentimes at crisis and change and conflict. Um, but I'm no longer the, the band-aid of the workplace anymore. I think it's fair to say we do a lot of work with um, HR teams or people teams, leadership teams, managers and whole organisations to embed the principles of dialogue and justice, uh, empowerment, engagement, inclusion into uh, our policies, our procedures, into our leadership, our behaviours, our boardrooms, and into the whole culture of our organisation. And that's really a very quick um uh, pen picture of the last 22 years of work <laughs> yeah yeah well that that's amazing and that I can imagine you've seen and done quite a number of things over over the last 22 years I think one of the reasons you and I initially connected was I was really interested in you know your perspective on toxic workplace mm. culture where is this coming from and and really what we can do about it. And, and there was a really interesting idea that, that came out of one of our conversations. And that was this idea of bringing restorative justice. And, and I think you have a, an even broader term that, that you use now of transformational justice in order to address many of these, these root cause issues of, of conflict and problem, you know, kind of all of the worst workplace behaviors that I think many people are are well familiar with sadly unfortunately it would be lovely wouldn't it if if there were lots of people out there going wait a minute what do you mean about poor workplace behavior what does that mean i i don't think we need to explain that i think most people mm -hmm. <laughs> they they understand what toxic workplace culture sort of feels like but 
maybe not so much where, what some of the root causes are. And I think you have an interesting perspective on that. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've written a lot on toxic workplaces. I don't really like the term toxic culture. Unfortunately, kind of it's a common commonly used term. It feels very much that it's a sort of almost leans into that sort of blame. It's toxic. That's let's blame the culture. And actually, we get the cultures we deserve. We get the behaviours we deserve. And for a great many organisations, when I was out there working in the sort of early two thousands, talking to people about relationships at work, the fact that our managers were are scared to deal with issues. There's this culture in many of our organisations of extensive inaction, and when we can't enact anymore, expensive overreaction, a reliance on formal, rigid, complex, damaging, often very legalistic procedures and policies for dealing with issues. Leaders, I mean, I've been into boardrooms, Lisa, and talked to them about conflict management systems, and we'll do it, we'll get a flip chart, and I'll say to the, to the board, let's talk about all of the costs and the challenges of conflict, and they'll tell me reputation, time, money, stress, customer services impacted, employee experiences impacted, we lose talent, we, we, uh, we struggle to attract talent, our investors become worried. I say, great, well, you a flip chart, we've only been talking five minutes, you've got a flip chart full of all of these costs, Show me the strategy for dealing with this stuff. And the board, they all look at each other going, and do you know something, Lisa? I've seen better strategies for ordering paper clips than I have for dealing <laughs> with this stuff in our organisations. Yeah. So the toxic culture, which just pulls out of our um, out of our speakers, out of our news feeds, it's on Twitter, it's on social, this, was, this is predictable. And we are not seeing this as passive bystanders. The organisation gets the culture and the behaviours it deserves. So when we start to look at challenging these issues in organisations, start to try and address the root cause of the toxic culture, which billows around like a toxic gas and noxious gas around our workplaces, mm-hmm. we start to unpack some of the issues in relation to this. And I go back to the point, our managers not being given the tools that they need to be able to have the conversations they need to have to resolve issues at source through listening, positive engagement, deep understanding, positive psychology, um, appreciate appreciative inquiry all of the skills that I need as a mediator to resolve issues are in absentia in our line management uh, capabilities right. HR systems where you need to have a, a law degree to wade through the treacle of HR processes the HR systems are, are, the, are the incubators of toxicity they are the the drivers of division in a great many workplaces in fact the best advice I can give to anyone if they're in a toxic whatever that means environment is don't go to HR and don't get involved in an HR process because one thing is for certain it's going to get a whole heap worse if you do Mm. so our HR systems are actually exacerbating and escalating toxicity yet they sit there in our organization's handbooks as if there's a they have a right to exist and they have a very passive um banal um function I I I would I would argue they're 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 a tanker and they bind themselves through uh, to, to the systems and process of our organisations with blame, shame, punishment, harm and trauma being the main outcomes that those processes drive. So when all of this is failing, what happens, of course, is people want to speak up, they're not listened to. Lawyers then start to protect the organisation. So we go to social media and we start to see the social media storms uh, that we've been seeing on for so many organisations in the public and private sectors. So a large part of my work is actually starting to unpack this and saying, okay, what do we need to do to address some of the issues of toxicity that exist within our workplace? And so much of it comes down to this language around fairness and justice and inclusion and dialogue and empowerment. 
And these are words which we hear bandied around. They're the buzzwords of the of, of our time. We see them on Twitter and LinkedIn, and we see memes and infographics, and it's all very lovely, and there's lots of stuff going on. But it doesn't permeate down through our organizations, and it's not happening to the people who really count, which is the human beings in our human beings, by the way, not human resources, the human beings mm-hmm. in our workplaces mm-hmm. are not feeling and getting there. So my job when I'm working with organizations is to unblock all of the different factors that can create the toxicity within the organization and actually help the organization to thrive and flourish by putting its people, its purpose, and its values very much at the center. And that's a large part of how we help organizations to to move away from what I call toxic shock. Uh, Mm. Sorry, culture shock rather than toxic shock. Culture shock rather than 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 toxic culture. Ah, yeah. Yeah, which which that's interesting in and of itself. But I, I love this idea that organizations are the architects of their own pain points, right? And and how to dismantle that, how to how to dismantle this massive blame and shame cycle that shuts so many people down. It's- it, 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 it closes people down. It creates, it's reductive. So it tries to reduce complex human interactions to right, wrong, win, lose, 51% balance of probability. Did you pass this test? Did you pass that test? And in essence, we always try, in, in, in many organizations, we define the character of the relationship as a series of ticks that we put in our boxes to prove the organization has delivered on a, on a process or procedural justice. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing is we're missing the feelings, the needs, the goals, the aspirations, the beliefs, the hopes, the fears, the head, the heart, the gut, everything that makes us humans is, is, is ignored and removed from these process in favor of, did I tick the box to demonstrate that I follow the process correctly? And actually, as human beings, we're now resisting that. We say, no, I'm important. My voice is important. My needs are important. And for organizations who are getting this right, of which you know, there are a great many, what those organizations are recognizing is that as when, when my needs as a human being and my goals and aspirations connect with the purpose, the values, the beliefs, and the principles of the organization, that sense of connection is, is an unbreakable bond between me and my people and creates a sense of common purpose and shared purpose. That means we're facing in the same direction. We're working towards a shared set of objectives. We're not all agree. It's not creating a nice culture. It's creating a new culture where we can disagree well, where we take the adversity out of diversity, we take the grief out of grievances, and we can create a space whereby dissonance and disagreement can actually then result in a powerful dialogue and conversation, which in and of itself unlocks creativity and innovation. But if we look at the traditional systems, and I'm going to focus on, if if I can in a second, the, the grievance procedure. Mm. Yeah, and I love top- that. I love oh. what you said of taking grief out of grievance. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. It's the most awful, awful thing. It's pernicious, corrosive, divisive, harmful, damaging, traumatic. It's a disgraceful process that sits within our organizations that we wheel out every time there's a dispute, or we actually try to avoid going into it, which speaks volumes in ourselves. So so what do we do instead? And who who would you like inspire to pick that up? Marilyn, shred it. It's the um, only what, thing you do. What goes into what? What do you want to put in place? Well, I mean, the first thing is, even if you had nothing, even if you had nothing, it would result in a better outcome because it would force the individuals to engage in some form of a dialogue and some kind of a conversation. Mm. So the process is designed. Ninety-nine percent of people come into work. They don't come into work to do a bad job or to create harm. 
there's only 1%, if that, of our organisations actors who are bad actors and want to cause harm. And that's oftentimes because they've become so fed up with the systems and processes that they just want to yeah. get out. And just there's a reason wanna... for that too. Mm-hmm. There's a good reason for that. But the process is designed that for those people, but it's applied to all of them. So even if we ripped it up, shredded it and removed it and had nothing, and I'm not an anarchist, by the way, what I'm saying is let people be people. People, my, my first boss, when I was running the mediation service and the charity said to me, David, mediation will never work because these people don't have the capacity to resolve their own issues talking about local residents in the estate that I was working in. Mm. And my life's work has been set out to prove him wrong. And yeah. every day I go into organisations and I meet amazing people who have enormous capacity to be able to resolve complex issues if they're given the space and the time and the conditions and the support. So, and you'll know this as coaches. I'm a coach, I'm a mediator, I'm a facilitator and a leader. So I, and I see this enormous capacity that we have as human beings. So the first thing I would say is remove that retribution. But to your question, what would you put instead? So I, I, in 2013, I asked myself the same question. I launched what I called my, my resolution framework. And the resolution framework replaces the grievance procedure. So rather than having a three-step process that says, okay, go through step one and generally it won't work and we'll go to step two and it might work, but probably won't, we'll go to step three. We introduce a triaging system whereby a request for resolution, though a new language from no longer a grievance is raised, but a request for resolution is submitted mm. to a resolution centre, which is a new uh, cross-functional centre. So we've set these up in, say, Burberry and Next and large hospitals resolution centers so the resolution center receives a request for resolution and uses objective criteria to assess the case the severity the complexity the duration the needs of the parties and the risk of the situation and based on that score or the aggregate score will identify the most appropriate route to resolution in that case it's biased towards transformative justice so dialogue coaching restorative conversations, mediation, team development, team building in the majority of cases. And only in the most serious cases, the ones that score the highest score. So let's think about those perhaps being more sexual harassment and race discrimination type cases, or if this replaces the disciplinary procedure that might be serious misconduct, they would then go through a formal a formal process of investigation. But even the formal process has been retributions being removed so we don't a lot no longer have this sort of parent child hearing and wagging mm. fingers and tutting there's this big corporate tutting that goes on when we behave badly we've removed that we've introduced formal resolution meetings introducing restorative um, style conversations in those formal processes and what we've also done within the resolution center is we extract learning so I used to sit on race hate crime panels and assess the police's response to race hate crime. And we'd give learning to the police on how did they handle the race hate crimes. And I say to HR professionals, you know, when you take someone through a disciplinary procedure or redundancy or performance management, do you send them a feedback form and ask them, invite them to give you some feedback and share the learning with you? But of course we don't. But of course you don't, because you know exactly what the answer is going to be. It was the most horrific, traumatic, unpleasant period of my life. Well, absolutely you should be ask, uh, asking people for their feedback from the products and services that you're delivering to them as customers. So we introduced this learning cycle into the resolution center where mm-hmm. customer feedback, the employee in this case being the customer, is giving feedback into the resolution center about their experiences. And that learning is then used to drive structural, systemic and cultural change to the point Lisa earlier around addressing toxic culture. We're now creating this powerful 
feedback loop within the system where people's experience in their relationships, in the climate, in their departments, in their project teams, in the depots, the wards, the airlines, wherever it is that working, is feeding into the system to help support cultural change. And it's about creating this powerful connection between the climate of our teams and our departments and the culture of the organisation and using issue resolution, grievance, performance, disciplinary and other cases as a factor within that system to drive these powerful points of learning, innovation yeah. and creativity and, and sat it, within it those. Sounds Sorry. like that. In, well, it inspires a growth mindset, right? Because, you know, in that feedback, in that learning, uh, there's no finger wagging there either. Yes. when you do it in this system so it's very much you know growth and learning and that growth mindset um uh as, as soon as that is a part of it then it turns into growth and learning rather than you did it wrong so you need to learn something that's Thank a, big, you. Yes. a big a big difference in flavor there too and absolutely so if i've got a finger wagon at my at me I've got to hit, I'm going to get a cortisol reaction straight away. My amygdala is going to say, this person's mm. out to cause me harm. Bang, yeah. cortisol response, amygdala Shut hijack. Down. Shut yeah. down. I can't think straight. I cannot be the creative best version of me when I've got mm -hmm. a finger pointing in my face, metaphorical or literal. Yeah. And unfortunately, for whatever some direction literal, the finger Whatever direction. In, and sometimes it's coming from every direction and I yeah. can't see them, I can perceive them. Yeah. So my amygdala is really on high alert here. So I've got cortisol and adrenaline flooding into my system. So I often do a cortisol order of the of a grievance, no, go back to grievance procedure. Let's look at the grievance procedure and work out every single word. Is it likely to reduce, release dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, or is it likely to release uh, a, a, a amygdala response with cortisol and adrenaline reaction? Every single word in a current grievance procedure is going to be marked red, 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 <laughs> cortisol, cortisol, cortisol. So your processes are, are driving people into this defense. And what's the best form of defense? Attack or withdrawal. So we're creating this dynamic in our organizations. And then we're going, oh, wave my arms in the air. Why have I got toxic culture? Why have I got bad behaviors? Why am I in the news? Why am I on Twitter? Why are people fed up? You've designed the systems which are creating this. If you want to change the behavior, if you want to change the outcomes, change the system. And that requires our people professionals and HR teams in particular to drop the defensiveness about, you know, this is an attack on HR. It's not. HR and the people profession could become singly the most strategically important function in the organization by placing it at the center of that feedback loop that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. By being in the center of that and enabling and engaging and facilitating that process, no longer does HR strive to have a, a seat at the, the boardroom table as a strategy. HR becomes the table that everyone else is sitting around, mm -hmm. extracting key learning points into this system. So it's not an attack on HR, it's a challenge to HR to recognize to the, to the question, what can we do, is change the system and that will then result in a change in behavior and a change in outcomes. But we need to stop defending the indefensible. The system's broken, it's never worked and it never will work. Yeah, yeah. So what's the best way? I mean, I, I love this idea of taking, you know, grief out of grievance, taking, you know, the, the, the divisiveness out, out of these systems. What is the best way to do it? Because it is, you know, such a 
easy go-to, this defensiveness, this threat response, the fight, flight, freeze, fawn. What is the best way to do that when we have been so acculturated in so many organizations towards the finger pointing, towards the drama triangle where there yeah. is you know, the, the victim, the villain, and then the savior who needs to come in and fix everything, right? And it sounds like you you used to, in, in mediation, oftentimes, you know, that that's meant to be the yeah. savior role. Come in and fix all of this. Come in and save us from this self-created mess. <laughs> What's yeah. the exit point, in your view, from, from that never-ending cycle that once you start it, it's very difficult to stop it? And what's your exit ramp? Yeah, I think the first thing is like any bad habits, and it's, these are bad habits, Lisa. These are bad habits that we've fallen into. The first thing we need to do is we need to accept it exists as a problem. It's not about finding fault or blame. It's accepting the system's not, not working. And that acceptance doesn't mean I've got all of the answers. It means that I'm going to now be committed to finding another route through this. So there needs to be an acceptance. And, and, and for HR, the one the HR teams I'm working with, with big global retailers and banks and hospitals, universities and councils, I'm working with the most amazing people, professionals, who had to start at the inflection point of recognising that the system that they were the custodians of and were the architects of was no longer working. How do you do that? Go and speak to people. You know, if you're an HR business partner or an ER specialist or an HR manager or chief people officer, pick up your case management, find out which case you were dealing with yesterday and go and speak and give those people a jolly good listening to <laughs> and go and find out what they've got to say and they'll tell you what's not working. We don't, I'm pointing at both my ears here, we don't mm -hmm. listen enough. I mean, listen to me chatting away. We're on a special podcast, I might be able to get away with it. But we need to be <laughs> a little bit better at listening to and understand. So accepting as an issue, gathering data. I'm not talking about hard qualitative data, although you can get that. And we have some great tools. I've designed a conflict calculator for organisations. Over £28 billion in the UK is lost each year due to unresolved conflict, according to the Arbitration Service and the Chartered Institute of Personal Developments and Research that was launched. So we help organisations to assess the cost of conflict to their organisation. And do you know one thing that's really interesting? And I, I was I, I was helping a large council, a large council in London, to shift away from a grievance procedure to a resolution framework. And the HR director approached me and said, "David, as a result of introducing this resolution framework and training at three hundred managers, the cost benefit was we've had one employment tribunal that didn't happen. That's paid for the whole." system to be developed in our whole organization mm. so the cost benefit analysis is great so accepting as an issue listening to people gathering the data and the evidence and then using your intrinsic skills as a people professional to go and build allyship go and build go and speak to your leaders help mm. them to move away from that you know the best strategy i've seen is for paper clips to actually treating this as a strategic priority and, and go then and there's the human cost and the human benefit the massive, yeah. the, the, yeah. and all of the stuff. And you'll get that from the talking with people. What do they need? What do they say is really important to them? And the more that you can do that, then you can start to build your, your business case. And then actually dealing with conflicts and tensions and disagreements becomes a really powerful system for resolving issues in your, in your organisation. Something which becomes exciting, uh, something which we can fall behind rather than this grind of case management and HR didn't. Ask any HR business professional why they went into HR. 
they did not go into HR to do formal, rigid, corrosive policies or to be used as a sword of Damocles. I'm going to HR should be an expression of great opportunity for growth, insight and learning. I'm going to HR should not be used as a threat. And unfortunately, I'm going to HR is a threat. And it's an existential threat for a great many people. And I think it's also an existential threat to the HR function as a whole. Yeah. So what's the one thing you wish people who are listening today, what's the one thing you wish that they would stop or start doing based upon this? I think there's a whole variety of options, but I'm curious what, what you think is the most important step oh. to, to begin. Where do I start, um, Lisa? I mean, look, I think, you know, rip your grievance procedure out. Honestly, it'll be the best thing you've ever done. It'll be the best thing you've ever done. So I think starting there is a good place. Go and go and listen. Give your and I think give your managers the skills. Our, our managers are, are, are struggling with this stuff. They're struggling right now. Today they're struggling. Mm. So go and give them the tools that they need. And the tools around positive psychology, coaching skills. Coaching is the biggest gift. I mean, the gift that gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. So go and give your managers this gift of coaching, so they can share the gift with their teams. Give them the power of dialogue, of listening, of of, of the ability to find. Getting from this is the, the, the thing to do. Help your managers move from the zonk to the zopa. Take them from zonk to zopa, and that's going to resolve them. By the way, in case you're not sure what I mean, zonk zone of negative conflict. Ah, <laughs> zopa, which I made up, by the way. <laughs> but the zopa, you can go to Harvard Business School and learn about zopa. The zone of possible agreement. That's where we're having a conversation based on my needs and my interests and my shared goals and my shared sense of humanity and purpose. So moving from the zone of negative conflict, bitter, adversarial, retributive, combative, Mm. polemic, unpleasant, all of the stuff that we have to face, giving managers the skills to break through that. And some of it is very, very simple. Listen, engage identify what the other person's needs are don't judge them don't blame them don't wag a finger at them don't tut at them value what they're saying but also value what you're saying and put forward your needs and goals and aspirations and in the middle of there somewhere is this beautiful space called the zopa where my needs to feel valued and respected and taken seriously and treated with civility and justly is aligned to your needs and we have a shared set of needs and there's no human relationship in the world, and I mean this on a geopolitical level down to a, a spat in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an office somewhere. There is no dispute in the world where there isn't the possibility to find a zone, a zone of possible agreement between the two parties if we go looking hard enough. Yeah. But we sometimes you listen, need the skills. When you if enable we, people to listen. Thank you. Exactly right. If yeah. we can listen and just hear... I'm really here to understand, not here to defend myself because you're right. this kind of person and you're yeah. out to get me. That no, type of listening, enable, enabling people to do that type of listening. Absolutely. Yeah. Deep, deep listening. But, and don't, take, don't, don't misinterpret deep listening or active listening or this sort of this more authentic as being some sort of a sort of new age, hippy dippy ideal that's sort of coming out of there, but the hard work happens when I'm kicking butt and all that. Stuff. It's not. This is tough. These conversations are tough conversations. These are real meaningful conversations. And actually, you're much more likely to get an open account of people's behaviours and the reason behind the behaviour if we listen to them than we are if we start blaming them and and, 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 and in some respects attacking them or putting them in a defensive position. So it might sound 
new age and soft and fluffy, all the kind of things that I hear about these, these skills, actually the complete opposite is true. Sitting right. down and really hearing what other people are saying is, is probably one of the toughest things we can do, mm-hmm. uh, but also one of the most powerful things we can do. Yeah, it is. It, it's transformative. It's it's, thank you. Transformative, transformative justice. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the very beginning of our podcast. <laughs> Indeed, we've come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, David, for, for sharing this. I feel like, you know, we, we could probably have three hours of conversation and only scratch <laughs> the surface of, okay. of what it is that you're doing. And, and thank you so much for the work that, that you're bringing to life. It, 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 it's powerful. And so important uh you know i i myself have been involved in you know managing grievance processes where you, you just know from the outset it, you know people don't have what is needed the system is not set up to be supportive to actual revolution and resolution so thank you so much for for bringing this to life we'll be sure yeah, to include you. In, in the show notes, where people can find you, how they can get in touch with you so that they can figure out where to go once they get rid of their grievance process and throw it out the window. <laughs> the resolution revolution. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you everybody out there for listening. We really appreciate all of you. Uh, you've probably been listening to us online. You can, of course, find us in all of your favorite podcast apps. Please do make sure that you subscribe so that you are the first to learn about our newest episodes. And if you appreciated this episode, if you know somebody out there who's going through a grievance process or who is having conflict in their workplace, please share it. Let them know that there is hope out there. There are different ways to do things. It doesn't have to be as painful and stressful as it probably is. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Speaking of feedback loops, (laughs) we want to hear your guest suggestions and your topic requests. Let us know what's on your mind in the workplace today. For now, until next time, bye-bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.